You've reached Vernon First Baptist Church. My name is Randy, I'm one of the pastors here, and we have been preaching through the book of Hebrews during this whole past year, and we've gotten to the end of chapter 12 at this week. So I invite you to jump in and take a look at two mountains that the authors have us take a look at and explore just what the tensions we have to hold. And I think it's useful for us in the midst of our day and age. So dive in with us and take a look at Hebrews 12. It's verses 18 to 29, I think. Bless you. Uh, We come to the time where we turn to the Word, and I have so been enjoying going through Hebrews. We're nearing the end. We're getting there. Uh, And I sure thank Dan for his word last week. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, no bitter root. Be at peace, such an important message in our day. How do we hold these tensions? Tensions that we face in the world. You think, well, this book of Hebrews, such an old book, will it... Will it tap into our inner wrestling? Will it tap into how we interact in the world today? It's a good question. How are we to run this race? Are we to run it fortified by by fear, seeking our own comfort, putting up walls, or with courage to explore a new terrain that may sometimes be unknown, but hopeful, hopeful? Uh, I'm going to invite Gord to come up and read our passage. You can turn with me into Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, if you have your pew Bible or in your app. Hebrews 12, 18. Gord, please read for us. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, to such a voice speaking words that those who hear it beg that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches this mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks, if they do not escape when they refused him who warned him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he's come, now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful 
and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. Thank you, Gordon. Well, how many of you have been to see a travel agent lately? Anyone here? I see that hand. Yes, a Nova Scotia trip planned, wonderful. You know, sometimes uh, a travel agent will set you up a little bit. You know, they, they want to they want to get you geared up from one mindset to another. Like, this weekend is a great example. They might say, well, how was your weekend? Well, it was a little stormy, a little rainy, you know, boy, it was, we tried to have a little party in our backyard and we got rained on. It wasn't very fun. Yeah, that's not very fun sometimes around here. How could you, could you picture yourself on a beach? Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Far away, you know, under a palm tree. Let's think about that for a little bit. They might paint that picture, warm air flowing. And then you might just respond, I just like to wait around for a day like today. Put on my Hawaiian shirt and just live it up right here. Because today's going to be a beautiful one here in the Okanagan. We've got to take them while we get them, right? Yeah, you hear an amen. Well, this is exactly what Hebrews is doing for us in this passage. It's painting one picture and then showing us another. It wants us to look back, look back in order to look forward to what Jesus has brought for us, in order to be the people of God in God's world right here and right now. So let's pray and then we will explore this together. Lord, I ask that you would open up my mouth to speak your living word and that you'd open up our hearts to receive what you have for us today. In your name, Jesus, your powerful name we pray. Amen. Well, the way our author, the author of the letter to the Hebrews, is going to do this is by contrasting two mountains. You heard this in the reading. As soon as the writer says in verse 18, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it, the readers understood right away. The readers understood. They knew what they were talking about. What mountain would inspire such fear? Was this Pompeii, the volcano? In Pompeii, no. Was it the mountain above Frank's slide, trembling down? That causes fear. But no, that was a different mountain. What mountain was it? Mount, Mount Sinai. Absolutely, Mount Sinai. You might remember the image. doesn't come out very strong here, but you can see the fiery top on the mountain. This image from the great movie, The Ten Commandments, with the people in camp down below. The mountain that God called Moses up to after the exodus to receive the law. The sight was so terrifying, Hebrew says, that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. And so were the people. In fact, Moses was up there 40 days. To them, that was long enough to think, how could anyone survive up there with the trembling and the fire, the cloud, the smoke? 
And so they turned away. They started worshiping the golden calf. And Hebrews contrasts Mount Sinai with a new mountain. One that these readers also knew well. Mount Zion. And not just a physical Mount Zion on which Jerusalem stood, along with the temple. No, the idea here is a contrast between the ultimate promise of God, the true Zion, the culmination of all the struggle and pain, the promises that the law and the prophets had pointed to, all to become a reality in the coming age with the promised Messiah. These two mountains contrasted. And the book of Hebrews has been arguing the whole time, all the way through, that when Jesus came, there was a significant change, that he was that promised Messiah, greater than the angels. You remember that? Way back in September, we were talking about that. Jesus is greater than the angels, greater than Moses, greater even than the law and the prophets. And though the readers knew Jesus, there's something lacking. The reality is that Jesus was much different than they were expecting. They wanted a new world where they were no longer under the thumb of Rome, that there was no suffering. They expected all freedom. And Jesus came with a, a bit of a different message, one that they had trouble getting their heads around. If you remember, all the way through, the authors of this book have been trying to convince the readers, the Hebrew people, the early Hebrew Christians, not to go back to the old faith. One that was often run by fear. And that sort of makes you ask the question, why would they want to go back? Why would they want to go back to an old mountain? Ask it with me. Why would they want to go back? Let's try it together. Why would they want to go back? One more time. Why would they want to go back? Well, it's a good question. They know Jesus, and yet Hebrews is saying, don't go back. Jesus is better, convincing them time and time again. So let's take a look. Why would they want to go back? Well, in, even though there's fear and trembling, Mount Sinai is what is comfortable for them. This is a system that they knew, they understood. They're comfortable with it to a certain degree. Right? They had a certain amount of control over this old system, and they're comfortable with it. If they, they figured if they did good enough, and it's pretty easy to be good enough if you compare yourself to others, right? To feel that they're better off than most, then they begin to rest in that system. Well, we're doing, we're doing enough, we're doing a lot more than others, believing that they have enough to satisfy the requirements of the God of Mount Sinai. And we're following most of the laws, we're getting most of them right. Then Jesus comes along and says, well, you know what? All that you do is never good enough. You'll never satisfy God, but... Come to me. I am the way, the truth, the life. 
Of course, I think it's really important for us to realize something. At Mount Sinai, we picture this, this consuming fire. But God is a consuming fire, but also a loving, compassionate God. Back in the Old Testament, we often, we often miss that. But we saw that time and again when we were going through the minor prophets, if you remember. Ezekiel 34, I mean Exodus, sorry, Exodus 34 says this. When God passes in front of Moses, he proclaims, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. We can see that throughout the Old Testament, God was gracious and compassionate. The covenant that he had with the people was based on relationship, on love. The reality that the image of Yahweh had, based on the Exodus, a story of God's love for them and rescue of the people, also included Mount Sinai, a mountain of cloud and fire, Stories of disobedience, judgment, even the ground opening up and swallowing people. So they had this bit of a, a tension that they had to hold, that God, is, God loves us, wants relationship with us, yet is also a consuming fire. And the future, the future of the people of God was resting on how they wrestled with this. George MacDonald wrote a great, uh, a great, a bunch of great sermons in, in his book, Unspoken Sermons. One of them is called On Consuming Fire, The God of Consuming Fire. And he says this. I have to admit, Dan put me onto this last week after his sermon. And he said, oh, you're preaching on consuming fire. I think, I think George MacDonald said something about that. And I looked it up, and it's incredible. Listen to what he says. To them... Mount Sinai is crowned with the signs of vengeance. And is not God ready to do unto them even as they fear? Though with another feeling and a different end from any which they are capable of supposing. He is against sin, insofar as and while they and sin are one. He is against them, against their desires, their aims, their fears, and their hopes, and thus he is altogether and always for them. Do you get that? Reminds me of uh, some of you. How many of you love to go to the doctor? I don't see many hands. Don't see many hands. I asked a friend once, why don't you like to go to the doctor? Well, she might find something wrong. All right, this can be the response. We don't want to go to the doctor. They might find out that something is wrong with us. And yet, wouldn't that be for our benefit if they find out something is wrong and can offer some healing? We saw that through the prophets, God continually calls the people back into relationship, holding this tension of a gracious, compassionate, and a jealous, righteous anger for their actions. And there was always a promise of a full restoration with the coming Messiah. But in the meantime, they struggled more living, more in the fear 
with the reverse emotion of, of pride at times, being the ones that had the inside track. So Mount Sinai, we looked at a mountain of fear. Well, how about Mount Zion? What do we have? At Mount Zion, we have Jesus. And moving beyond fear to gratitude. How does this work? The author of Hebrews says, You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, which they would relate to their old covenant faith. There was this switch. Not, not just Mount Zion, the temple. They might say, oh yeah, we understand the temple. That's where we still worship Yahweh with the law. But he says, to the city of the living God, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. The author begins to paint a different picture. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Well, wait a second. We don't see that in Jerusalem. Oh, he's painting a new picture here. To the church of the firstborn who names, whose names are written in heaven. Right? To the author, this isn't about being a Jew, being born in this family, following the law. This is about having your name written in heaven. Those who have put their faith in the coming king, in Jesus. God is doing a new thing. And the names are in God's book. So Mount Zion, Mount Zion is the kingdom that is open to all. Jesus' kingdom is not based on getting things right to stay in, living in fear of being cast out. Jesus opens it to all who would come. So all of a sudden, the playing field is level. We can't rely on, boy, we followed the law a little bit more than you, and you guys are outside of the faith, so, boy, we're good and you're not. We can only rely on Jesus' grace. And though these people had all said yes to this, in their hearts they were holding back a little bit. Maybe it's too good to be true, or maybe, oh, it just felt more comfortable living the old way where we felt a little more certain that we were doing at least mostly enough. And we've talked a bit about how this problem happens in the church today as well. The temptation for those of us in the church to begin to feel that we've got things pretty much together, don't we? At least we look like it. And instead of responding to those outside of the community with God's love and grace, we can respond with judgment and even fear of them contaminating us. And this extends even to those within the church at times that don't fit the mold. And we can sometimes cut people off. We can often hear that phrase, in but not of the world. Have you heard that? We can be in, but we don't want to be of the world. And it's not a specific verse of itself, but it's a phrase that Christians will use. The idea comes from Jesus teaching his disciples that they are now as followers of him, not of the world, as he is not of this world. But they are sent into the world, into the everydayness of the world, to be a blessing, just as he was. So 
perhaps there's a better phrase to be not of the world but in do you hear the difference instead of being in and then trying to make sure we're separate from the world to say no we are we are special people of god we're following jesus we're not of this world but we are in it sent to it to be the blessing of jesus recognizing that the Mount Zion kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, is open to all. And instead of fighting to keep separate, we can have a confidence that we are a holy people and have a loving, meaningful impact in the lives of those around us. In all of this, Jesus brings a sense of completeness to the law and prophets. Since Jesus has come, since he's come, we have complete freedom to approach the throne. We've heard that from the writers of Hebrews. We have a confidence. We don't have to have the fear of Mount Sinai, do we? Now we have a confidence that we can come straight to the throne of God. We're living in a whole new existence when it comes to this heavenly place of Mount Zion. The difference being a difference between a holiness that is terrifying and unapproachable and a holiness which is welcoming, cleansing, and healing. Do you see the difference? Jesus has offered himself his own blood for forgiveness, bringing us all to his full life, as opposed to living in the vengeance that Abel's blood called out for. That's the reference there. Yet God is still the judge. We can't get away from that. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Verse 24, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We don't have to fear Mount Sinai. But Hebrews wants them to know that now Jesus is the voice from the mountain. See to it, verse 25 says, that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? See, they're tempted to go back to the old ways and the authors are saying, no, Jesus has come as a full revelation of who God is among us, inviting us into this new way of living. And Jesus is now that voice. And Jesus will come again with justice and righteousness. So don't turn away from this voice. So the question comes then, how are we to live? How were they to live? The conclusion of this passage, first of all, is to be thankful. To be thankful. I think Hebrews is recognizing, okay, there is a little more complication this way. The old way? The old way, you did enough. Boy, you know, the ground didn't swallow all of us up. You know, we just try to, try to be good enough, and you're better off than others, and you just sort of keep it going. 
But this way is a little more complicated. We're following Jesus. We're filled by the presence of God. We don't have to go to the temple to find God's presence. We're actually filled with God's presence. Oh, and then guided by that. Whew, that's a little more complicated. But we can be thankful, Hebrew says, that Jesus has done away with that old system, that we can rest in the truth that he has provided a new way. And so the authors end with, and worship God with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. All right, we come back full circle. And you might say, wait, didn't the author just tell us that we don't have to be afraid of the burning mountain, Mount Sinai, the gloom, the darkness, the loud trumpet, the scary voice from heaven? Didn't we just get away from that? And now you're saying, oh, no, wait, wait, our God is a consuming fire. Well, yes, we don't have to cower in some mysterious cloud of fear. We have a new picture of who God is, a God in Jesus. But we are not to miss this one who speaks. Jesus is our friend and brother, inviting us, walking alongside us, but also our Savior and our Lord, our Lord God. So instead of being fearful of how we approach God, we are to have a respect and awe for how we live this out. For an awe that we get to be in this relationship with this one who is a consuming fire. To ensure that no one falls short of the grace of God that we have had. That we don't let bitterness take root. That we live in peace and unity that Jesus has provided for us. This means that we have to continue to live in that tension of our God as loving and a consuming fire. Jesus is, in, is inviting us into the way that we were created to live, to be an example of this truth of who God is lived out in love to the world around us. We don't have to be afraid of this God who's invited us, and we don't have to be afraid of the world around us. We can reach out with the love and life that Jesus has given us, calling all, all around us to live in the same freedom and love. And instead of living with judgment on others, we can invite them into this kingdom of Jesus, knowing that he is a judge, a judge that we can trust, one that has lived among us, knows our trials and temptations, no longer do we have a God that is up on a mountain, aloof, that we could see as fear-mongering from Mount Sinai. We have the God with us, the Mount Zion Messiah, who knows the manger, the work world, and the cross. George MacDonald continues, and I want to end with this one more quote from him. For that which cannot be shaken shall remain. As he quotes Hebrews, that which is immortal in God shall remain in man. The death that is in them 
shall be consumed. God, for our good, is a consuming fire. And he goes on, the man whose deeds are evil, and we could add whose aren't to some degree, fears the burning of this consuming fire. But the burning will not come the less that he fears it or denies it. Escape is hopeless, for love is inexorable. Our God is a consuming fire. Do you get that? Because of God's great love for us, we will always be invited into more of who we were created to be. And until we live the flourishing life we were meant for, full of love and justice, God's consuming fire will keep burning away all that keeps us from it. Let's pray together, and then we will sing of the foundation that we have. Heavenly Father, I thank you that though you are a consuming fire, you are one that loves us, is gracious and compassionate, so much so that you came and walked among us in Jesus, that we could see who you are, know your love for us, and trust your consuming fire in us. And so we ask that you would guide us to be your people, living out your call in our life as we live for you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, thank you for remaining standing for a closing blessing and benediction. As you go from this service, I invite you to open your hands to receive what God has for you today. As you go, may you know that the God of Mount Sinai, a consuming fire, is also the God of Mount Zion, who invites you into a full living relationship with this holy God, and then that Jesus has provided a way, a way for full reconciliation, and that you can live out this life as Jesus calls you to. So go in the name of a most holy father, a son who gave his life for you, and the Holy Spirit who empowers you to live it out each and every day. Amen. Go in peace.